0: Hello and welcome to Acting Up, the podcast that dives deep into the world of TV and film that highlights our people, our communities, and our stories. I'm your host, Courtney Wills, and this week we're speaking to actor O.T. Fagdenal, star of Who Lose The Handmaid's Tale, as well as the upcoming MCU blockbuster Black Widow. In it, he'll play a weapons expert, and if that is not impressive enough, he's also gearing up to play Barack Obama in Showtime's upcoming series, The First Lady, due out later this year. He also helms his own Hulu series, Max, that's Max with three X's, which he writes, directs, and stars in, as well as composed the music for and produced. I am literally counting down the moments until I get to see O.T. in Black Widow. I just cannot wait. And I'm also really looking forward to seeing him as Barack Obama on The First Lady, which is also going to star a former Acting Up guest. Lexi Underwood, who's going to play Malia Obama. We'll get into what his journey through Hollywood has been like and find out how he's managing everything that comes with his booming career. If this man isn't on your radar, he definitely should be. IOT. Okay, so wow. I have so many things that I'm dying to talk to you about. You've done some really incredible work since the last time you and I spoke, which I think was after maybe season one of The Handmaid's Tale. So much to talk about with that show, but also these other projects that you are working on. You're coming into the Marvel universe and that is something that is just so impactful when it comes to representation um, for our community specifically. And then you kind of made a little bit of history over there, you know, directing and creating and producing your own series, Max. Yeah. And I feel like, as as popular as The Handmaid's Tale is, I still feel like there's a lot of Black people that are not paying attention to that show or the two leads of color in it. And I'm talking about yourself and the lovely
1: Samira Wiley.
0: Yes, yeah, Samira Wiley. This is such an incredible show. Talk to me about what it's like to be a part of it.
1: Oh, well, it really is one of my greatest honors as an artist. Of course, Amanda Bruegel is in it as well. She's a mixed actress. And a lot of people don't know, but Max Minghella, uh, who plays my love triangle E, um, he's he's half Asian as well. So. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's amazing to be a part of. And for me, the, the two best things about it really are is to be able to be part of a show which is part of a bigger conversation about inequality and patriarchy and, you know, the, the troubles of populism and, and kind of cults gone out of proportion, but also to be able to work with so many great actresses and directors who I've learned so much from. You know,
0: The Handmaid's Tale is a show that I got into late. Like, I feel like I didn't really start watching regularly and catch up until like mid-season two. And so I got to binge a lot all at once and was, you know, kind of devastated when I ran out of episodes. But it also really was the first project in a long time that gave me nightmares. Like it gave me real nightmares almost, I watch TV till I fall asleep. So it was always like the last thing I was thinking about. But at the time, Trump was our president and everything I was watching felt so terribly possible. You know, like actually tangible, that, that feeling of being under threat and like, yo, every single right we think that we have, like it can be stripped away and it can happen fast. That's what The Handmaid's Tale was giving me at that time. And it was like a very real fear. And I noticed that this time around Trump is not in power anymore. And watching it while it's still so riveting and still gives me so many emotions, it doesn't give, it doesn't feel so freaking possible like tomorrow. And I wondered for you, if you can think back to that time where it was a lot more tumultuous, I think around the world and here. Like, what did it feel like to be showing us something that at at once is very far-fetched and also not not that far-fetched?
1: Well, you know, the funny thing is, because a couple of people have mentioned something similar to me, but for me personally, I look at the world and go, are we dealing with huge inequality of power? Are we dealing with patriarchy? Are women, especially children, victims of terrible violence. Have we fixed that? No, we, we haven't. It's, it's still at completely intolerable levels. And so for me, I kind of feel like this show and the issues that it deals with is as present today as ever. And sometimes I feel we kind of, you know, we look at leadership we don't like, or we look at headlines we don't like, but actually the the, the real issues that are happening between people inside families and and between genders and race and all that kind of thing, it's still there and and the need for our activism is present as ever.
0: Yes, yes. Do you think that Gilead and that the show, The Handmaid's Tale, are they in a post-racial world? Because of course there are people of color who are leads, but their actual race so far to me hasn't necessarily presented a separate obstacle to those characters of color. So what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, you know, I I sometimes do wonder about the kind of, I guess, lack of intersectionality about it. And it can be frustrating sometimes wanting, you know, especially when like myself and you, we, we come from a certain group and we want to see that part of our existence represented on screen. And I guess for me, my way of engaging with that was to kind of like you were saying before is to start writing myself, start directing myself and my show Max, which is on Hulu now. I feel like we deal with race and gender in in, in a way that I would like those discussions to go. And uh, of course, that's just, you know, me, I'm just one person, but for me, that's the way I've engaged in in wanting to have those discussions a bit more present on the screen.
0: Yeah, but you know, The Handmaid's Tale never left me and doesn't now leave me feeling like, that is missing. Like, I don't feel like, gosh, they're really missing an opportunity or I wish they'd go down that road. It's actually the opposite. It's actually kind of cool to see, I mean, anything based in reality can't ever present a post-racial world because we are not Mm -hmm. there, right? It doesn't exist. But a lot of shit in The Handmaid's Tale doesn't exist. So it's plausible. um, And it's kind of interesting to see, and sadly, but like the oppression is colorblind. You know, June, this lead white woman is no less oppressed than Samir Wiley's character. Right. And that's kind of interesting to me. You know, like, I'm not, I'm not mad at it. I just think like, wow, it's one of the few shows where I can look at these characters and actually not consider their race as another element of what's happening.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a really interesting take.
0: When I spoke to you, gosh, years ago, this was before George Floyd, before the protest, before everything that's gone on. You told me a really cool kind of anecdote about how you dealing with the police, depending on where you are, what country you're in, your accent kind of like came in handy sometimes. Like you almost felt like depending on where you were, it was like, you know, it might benefit me to not be perceived as a black American right now. And I wondered, I mean, you were thinking about that back then and after everything that has happened i don't know if right now you're in the states or you're overseas but
1: yeah i'm in atlanta yeah you're in atlanta
0: okay so now what now is that even more kind of like prescient like gosh like now Being a Black man from the United States almost feels like you're taking a risk when you get behind the wheel. So I guess my question is, does the palpable kind of tension that exists here in the States, does it right now exist other places when you are in London or when you are in Tanzania, or is it more palpable here right now?
1: You know, it's, it's really challenging because, again, like talking about intersectionality, like the way I experience racism as a light-skinned Black person may be different from a dark-skinned person. The, the way I experience it as, you know, someone who sounds identifiably middle class in England, for example, it, it will change the way that I experience racism. And so I'd I be, you know, cautious about kind of trying and say that my experience is representative of others' experience. I know that there is deep institutional <laughs> racism that exists, which can just be measured by the outcomes. You can look at the outcomes and go, okay, well, what's the count for that? As long as we don't think that that a black person and white person are inherently different then right. there, there is something responsible for that which is larger than the individual there's something at least heavily influencing that and i think that's present in england and it's present in america i would say my experience of the states is you know there is a lot of racial like there needs to be a lot of therapy like national therapy done around race and racism because you know it's just so horrific that, you know to see an agent of the state being involved in, you know, almost legitimized by the state violence is really scary, I think, for people and very traumatic. Even if you aren't the sufferer of it, to watch it and go, well, that could be me, that could be my family member, is really traumatic and scary.
0: Yes, absolutely. I'm so excited to know that you have joined the Marvel Universe, and it's such an interesting time to talk about and think about Uh, Black superheroes and Black actors being cast in these really popular, beloved franchises. Um, You'll be one of the stars of The Black Widow, which we'll get to see in July, alongside Scarlett Johansson. Mm. And I was doing a little research on that, and I realized that, of course, we've got Anthony Mackie killing it in The Winter Soldier. We've got... Tiana, you know, making a lot of moves over with WandaVision and we have you coming to Black Widow, but of course it all started really for us with Black Panther. And Chadwick mm. Boseman as Black Panther and that impact of that film, you know, kind of changed everything and I think really opened the door for Hollywood to know that, you know, black superheroes were marketable, bankable, there was a huge audience dying to see ourselves in these kinds of projects. And then I realized that you also had an award-winning stint as as Levy in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, you know, on the stage. And so that kind of parallel to feel like, gosh, you were doing that role before we all saw it in a film version on Netflix with Viola Davis. You're going to play Barack Obama alongside Viola's Michelle in Showtime's upcoming project, The First Lady. And then you're stepping into the Marvel universe at a time where, you know, our, our first real huge black hero is gone. Um, right. Have you ever thought of all of that connection between like you, Viola, Chadwick? It's crazy.
1: Yeah, no, I don't know if I've, 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 I've seen it quite like that, but that's amazing, you know, as, as you say it all out loud. I mean, at the end of the day, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and, and really, I think African-American playwrights are really some of the greatest playwrights and so huge inspiration for me as a young actor. And I, I think a lot of black actors came through the theater and, and have that kind of exposure to that. But um, yeah, I don't know. I just feel really privileged. Uh, I was privileged to play Levy. It was a dream of mine. Privileged to, to, to work with Viola, who is just such a huge inspiration. And then, of course, you know, to, to be in the Marvel, I'm, I'm really kind of humbled by all the opportunities coming my way. So I'm just trying to make the most out of it and kind of make people proud of that.
0: Yes, we are. We are definitely proud. I mean, what goes into that? What goes into prepping to join, you know, prepping to join the Marvel universe?
1: Like, what was your reaction when they asked you? What did you think? Well, you know, what was really funny is that I was kind of, I was already kind of, was prepping for Max, um, my TV show. And, and Max was such a project of love and heart for me. And it looked like it was going to clash with Marvel. And I was kind of being given this Sophie's choice of like, will I want to do Max or will I want to do Marvel? Mm. And, and that was really challenging. There was no way I could have let go of my baby at that point. Luckily, Marvel kind of like stepped in and, and made time for me to be able to do both them and The Handmaid still together. Um, So a lot of the preparation for Marvel, part of it, to be honest, was just stopping thinking about the fact that it's Marvel and stopping thinking that, like, you know, because it can be overwhelming in a way. You start thinking, Marvel, you think Scarlett Johansson, and then your head's thinking about Marvel and Scarlett Johansson, but really all you should be thinking about is the character and the script and and how you're going to engage with that. And so but part of my work was just kind of letting go of all the hoopla around it and just engaging with text, which I've done for a long time. And, and luckily we had a great script, great writer who created a fantastic script. Do
0: you feel now that Max is out there? You kind of birthed this baby of yours. Do you feel torn between continuing further down that road of directing and producing and creating versus, you know, being the talent and doing the acting thing?
1: I want to do it all. You know, I, I really want to do it all. I, I work a lot with my brother. Luti. He has his production company. And I just want to make, I want to make content. I want to make the content that I, I love to see. Um, I love Africa. I've got two projects in development at the moment which are rooted in Africa. And so that's a huge part of what I want to be able to do as like an, an artist in this world. And so yeah, hopefully speak less, work more, get some good stuff done.
0: <laughs> you know, we talk a lot about representation here and I think that it's really interesting because of course your work, it doesn't only give us a place to see ourselves on screen, but also you are really like a citizen of the world. And I know that you've dedicated a lot of your time and a lot of your philanthropic work um, to supporting women in tech in Africa. And I wondered like, how do you feel like, what's your temperature right now on the way that Africa and actual Africans are represented on screens big and small here. I've talked to several people here. We've got Yvonne Orji and Alake and, you know, some stars who are rising, who are making sure to, I think, capture their identities, you know, and make that part of their story and highlight their unique experience as Nigerians. But where do you see that? What's the trajectory look like for you as far as representation of Africa and Africans?
1: I think there's so much opportunity, like it, it's fertile ground, like people trying to create content that Africa, there's a billion people on that continent, the continent, you could fit the United States into Africa a couple of times, that's how big it is. It's so diverse, you know, it's got snow-capped mountains and cities like you could party for days in Ghana and Accra and Nigeria and Lagos, like what, the, the music Afrobeat that's coming out of Africa, you know, some of the fastest growing economies are in Africa and so like the diversity and the potential for stories. I come from Nigeria, so many different ethnic groups and traditions, religions. So I'm really excited by the potential of Africa. I think it's such an untapped potential on a, on a cultural and creative level. So I want to be at the forefront of that. I mean, obviously there's so much that's come already, but I, I want join that, to join that line and bring in Africa more into people's imaginations. Yes, I want to see more
0: of it. You know, it's so rich and it's such a tie to a history that so many of us as african americans don't know don't have any you know connection to mm. i think that for me you know beyonce's black is king was like a lot more powerful than i expected it to be because i'm like is that what my great 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 grandma might have looked like worn been doing i've never uh-huh. seen it i've actually never thought about it until yeah. there and after that i felt like oh my gosh there's so much missing and it's not actually gone you know like Africa exists we can find it we can we can figure it out and I do I feel like Hollywood's missing that opportunity right now
1: yeah yeah and, and I would really recommend people go on vacation go on vacation I, I went to I was in Tanzania for Christmas it was gorgeous you know I did New Year's in Ghana a few years it, it's so nice out there there's so many places which is safe and gorgeous and like you're absolutely right about their historical part and that connection but the modern cities that are coming up, and, and it's also, for, for a lot of African-Americans who have spent time like always questioning in public spaces, is there racism being involved? In Tanzania, all the judges are black, all the police officers are black, all the teachers are black, all the politicians are black. You know, like, it, it's, it's a very different experience, I think, for a lot of African-Americans who go and spend some time in Africa. And, and even if you're not African-American, go visit Africa. I, I, can't, I can't recommend it enough. I, I've been to northeast, south, and west, and and each time just had this amazing experience. So get out of there.
0: Absolutely, yes. And you know, we at the Greel have done a lot of coverage and work about traveling to Africa, how to do it, different agencies that can help you map it out, help you afford it. But I do think that the lack of representation, the lack of seeing what you just described on screen, it's still. Let's so many of us put Africa in this box of like unless you're ready to go on safari you know don't go there we don't know what it looks like we don't know what it feels like we don't know what there is to do there where do we start I mean it's not a country it's a continent right so like if I knew very little to nothing about the United States I'd be very scared to land in Biloxi Mississippi if I was shooting for Los Angeles
1: (laughs) yeah 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 absolutely and and that's That's what I'm really excited about being part of now. One of the projects I'm developing is almost about that. It's just showing just how exciting cosmopolitan and modern certain parts of of Africa are. So, yeah, I'm really excited. I'm really excited about it.
0: Oh, amazing. what, What do you have to say about this kind of racial reckoning that we're seeing in Hollywood, as far as so many studios have made huge declarations to, you know, diversify the writing room or the people behind the camera or the executives, I've talked to so many actors who disagree, but some feel like, you know, they they are having more agency. They feel a little more empowered at the bargaining table than they did two years ago. And they feel that this kind of sudden thirst for content from Black creators and creatives and others are like, no, like, you know, it's all talk. Like, I'll believe it when I see it in my check or I'll believe it when I see it at the Academy. Where do you kind of fall right now as far as are there shifts happening in hollywood that you can actually perceive as positive as you navigate this industry
1: undoubtedly i think particularly in front of the camera we're getting to see the rise of some incredible talents which i don't think they had those kind of opportunities that existed 20 years ago when i first came up yes but you know we have to be careful about how much backslapping we do Before we look at the executive producers on a show, go look at how many, you know, writers, how many creators of shows are black. And, you know, we we may get sometimes disproportional press to give us an idea that, oh, it's everywhere. I've had, you know, people tell me, you know, that opportunity has been taken away from other people. But but if you actually look at the numbers and the numbers don't lie, the amount of showrunners, the amount of execs at the top of the studio, we are still really underrepresented there and so we cannot let up and and the mainly we can't let up not just because hey there's a tick box exercise there you know let's make everything fair we're missing out on great talent my goodness you know the incredible directing the incredible actors that we never gave an opportunity to 25 years ago and you know I, i i i was thinking about um Well, Hamilton, you know, although it's not uh, black. And I'm thinking like, if we always just let the same people, you know, all the white guys tell the story of Hamilton, we would have never got that musical. Like, it's not just for fairness. We're missing out on brilliant talent when we don't give, you know, power and agency to people of color, to women, to people with disabilities. So yeah, um, it's necessary. There's still more to be done.
0: Lastly, I want to talk about something that I talk about with a lot of people Recently, Daniel Kaluuya, you know, I've talked to Leticia, I've talked to Michaela. I feel like there is like a secret society of Black British <laughs> actors just like doing the damn thing across, you know, um, a- across the board. Like, do you have a bit, John Boyega, like, do you have, are you part of that little secret clique that I I want in so bad too? <laughs>
1: Uh, I mean, I, I I know I know all the Michaela and um, Daniel particularly, I, I know them very well. And yeah, you know, it's, it's funny, like coming up, you kind of know all the other black British actors that are coming up next to you. So anyone within 10 years of me, I kind of know, <laughs> know firsthand. Yeah. Thank
0: you so much. This was lovely. I hate that I have to let you go. I could talk to you for much longer, but I so appreciate it. It was great. Talk soon. We're just one week away from hearing who is going to be vying for an Emmy at this year's awards. And I can't let this episode end without weighing in on the shocking news that HBO has decided not to proceed with Lovecraft Country for another season. I've made no secret that I think that is one of the most important shows that came out last year. I thought every single performance in it was just amazing and i am rooting for everyone on that series when it comes to emmy nominations i'm also wondering what went into the decision not to proceed hbo's initial statement kind of alluded to the fact that like they didn't know what to do with the story now that they've you know ran out of book to base it on and kind of inferred that misha green couldn't figure out where to take this story next. And she delivered a pretty subtle but shady clapback on social media when she released a photo of the season two Bible, obviously proving that she did have a direction for the series. And she even dished some details for what would have been called Lovecraft Country Supremacy. I'm still scratching my head and still trying to get to the bottom of what happened there. And I will be sure to report back to you next week and hopefully we'll have some good news about Emmy noms by then. Till then, take care and thanks for listening to Acting Up. Thank you for listening to Acting Up. If you liked what you heard, please give us a 5-star review. And subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments to podcasts at thegrio.com. Follow us on Instagram at actingup.pod. Acting Up is brought to you by The Grio and executive produced by Courtney Wills and produced by Cameron Blackwell.